How many of you remember the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I mean, I, I personally think the movie is a classic. I used to get a kick out of it because I would go by Mark Kroll's office on occasion, our executive pastor, and he'd have the soundtrack playing, which wasn't necessarily in my top 40, but anyway, he had the soundtrack playing because he just loved the music. Well, I loved the movie. I think it was a classic. It starred uh, George Clooney, John Turturro, and Tim Blake Nelson, and these three had escaped, they were escaped convicts back in the Depression down in rural Mississippi. George Clooney is this smooth talker who's in jail for practicing law without a license. Well, the three of them, if you remember the movie, the three of them escape from a road crew, and they're now out in the woods, and they see this very strange sight. You'll remember it. Watch your screen. talking about we got bigger fish to fry the preacher said all my sins is washed away including that piggly wiggly i knocked over in yazoo i thought you said you was innocent of those charges well i was lying and the preacher said that that sin's been washed away too neither god nor man's got nothing on me now come on in boys the water is fine <sighs> You know, as funny as that is, it's all wrapped up in truth. Guys, baptism is important in the life of a believer. In fact, the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist, listen, is one of the few stories that's told in all four Gospels. So it was obviously an important event. Water baptism, I think you know this, but water baptism is symbolic. In other words, it's an outward demonstration of a commitment that we've made with Jesus Christ. It should be the first step that we take after salvation. Once you pray and invite Christ into your life, the very next step that you should take should be water baptism. 
But what do I mean by salvation? When I say it's the next step after salvation, what do we even mean by that? Let me explain if I could real quickly. God created mankind. He created you and me to be in fellowship with him. And he put Adam and Eve, he created Adam and then he created Eve to be a helpmate and he put him in the Garden of Eden, this wonderful, perfect place. And he said, this is all yours. I want you to enjoy it. I want to be in fellowship with you. The only thing is, is don't eat of this one particular tree. And of course, we see in Genesis chapter 3, right out of the gate, what do they do? They eat of the tree and sin. And Paul tells us in Romans 3, for all, every one of us have sinned against God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it says the wages or the penalty of sin is death, meaning that you and I deserve to die for the sin that's in our life. So what happened is that once mankind sinned, all of a sudden this perfect union or fellowship with God was broken and it created this chasm between us and God. And then now you read throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament and you see something common through the whole thing and that is man trying to get back into a relationship with God, trying many different ways to build a bridge to God. You see man thinking, well, if I'm just good enough, that'll get back to God, but it doesn't work. If, if I just give enough money, that'll build a bridge back to God, but it doesn't work. If I just attend church on a regular basis, that'll build a bridge back to God, but it doesn't work. You see, there is no way back to God on our own merit because, again, all of us have sinned and failed God, so we're separated from God, and which is the reason that Jesus Christ, it says in Romans 5, 8, but God all of our sin, but God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ gets up from his seat in heaven and he comes to this earth as a baby in that manger. You know the story. That's the Christmas story. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. And then it says he grows into a man. And it tells us in several locations throughout scripture that he never sinned. And then he willingly dies. He goes to the cross, he suffers, and he dies. Not for his own sin, he never sinned. He goes to the cross to pay the price for your sin and to pay the price for my sin. And the scripture says, but as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to become children of God. And so what happens here is that you've got this big chasm, nobody can get back to God. Jesus pays the price. So what he does is he steps inside this chasm. He stretches out his arm and he becomes the bridge. He takes the hand of God the Father and your hand and my hand and brings us back into a relationship again. There's nothing that we can do to earn it and we certainly don't deserve it. It's absolutely a free gift from God. You know, for many, many years, I've heard people say, well, I can't, Steve, I can't follow after a God. I can't serve a God that would send anybody to hell. Can I just tell you that he's never sent anyone to hell? Hell was never created for mankind. The scripture says that hell was created for Satan and his demons. If a person goes to hell, it's because they chose to go to hell. If a person goes to hell, it's because they've refused the free gift of God's salvation. You, don't, you can't earn salvation and you don't deserve it. It's absolutely something God is just handing to you. All you have to do is accept it or receive it. But if you refuse it, if you reject it, that's your call. We're not puppets on a string. We have the freedom to choose. And you can choose that if you want, but you miss out on heaven. You miss out on eternity. 
And that's why, my friends, it's important that at some point in your spiritual journey, at some point in your life, you make a deliberate, conscious decision that you want to receive this free gift of salvation, that you want Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and come into your life as Savior and Lord. Guys, if you've never done that, I want to take a break right here and just give you a moment to do it. So I'm going to ask everybody to bow your head. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And if you're not sure, listen to me, if you're not sure that you've made that decision, if you're not sure you're on your way to heaven, I want to pray for you right now. And all I want you to do is just to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to embarrass you. But I want you to raise your hand and keep it up till I see you. Just raise it up right now. You're not sure and you want to be sure. Yes, sir, I see it right there. You can put it down. In the back, yes. Just make sure I see you. It's dark in here. You're not sure you're on your way to heaven, but you want to be sure right now. Anyone else? How about in the balcony? The Bible says that today's the day of salvation, not next week, not next month, today. If you're not absolutely sure, today's the day to make sure. Anyone else? You say, but Steve, you have no idea what I've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. We've all messed up. We've all failed God. But he paid the price for your sins and for my sins. Is there anyone else? You're not sure, but you want to be sure. Just raise your hand. Then with every head bowed and every eye closed, there were two of you that raised your hands. I'm going to ask those two to look at me. I'm not going to do anything in the world to embarrass you, but what I want to do is I'm going to pray a prayer. And I'm going to say a prayer out loud. And if you meant business with God, I'm going to ask you, just repeat that prayer to yourself silently. And as you do, I promise that not only will he forgive you, but he'll come into your life as your Savior and as your Lord. So as I pray out loud, you just repeat it to yourself silently. Dear Jesus, I know I failed you. I know I've sinned against you. I ask you, God, to forgive me of all of my sins to come into my life as my Savior and as my Lord. Thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you, God, for forgiving me. And now, Lord, I commit the rest of my life to loving you and serving you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, it's the most important prayer you'll ever pray in your life. And I would encourage you to to tell somebody that today I prayed with Steve to invite Jesus Christ to come into my life. I thought, you know, it's really important that we talk about that before we move on to this topic of baptism. So let's talk about baptism for a few minutes. In Acts chapter 8, we see Philip is running alongside a chariot and he's carrying... This chariot is carrying a man of great authority, it says, who was reading out of the book of Isaiah. And Philip asked him if he understood what he was reading, and the man confessed that he didn't understand it. And so he invited Philip to get up in the chariot with him to help him understand. We see the story in Acts chapter 8 that says, so beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. And they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him there. Listen, the act of water baptism should be the first step in a Christian's life. 
Not something that, there's, there's no waiting period, guys. You don't have to wait 60 days. You don't have to wait 90 days to see if it's all good. There's no reason to wait. Once you've invited Christ into your life, the very next step is salvation. They can happen at the same time. A person can walk into a tank. They can walk into a, to water with somebody ready to baptize them and pray to receive Christ and be baptized. I would tell you guys that in our modernized comfort zone Christianity, we tend to take God's commandments, I think, far too lightly. Some of you will remember uh, Chuck Colson during the Nixon days. And Chuck Colson was really uh, one of the leaders in the whole Watergate thing. And Chuck Colson went to prison. The great thing about it all was is that while in prison, Chuck Colson found Christ. His life was radically saved. I mean, it was a life-changing experience. And when he came out, he committed the rest of his life, literally, to serving God, mainly to um, offenders, mainly to those in prison. Wrote several great books. I would recommend any one of his books. And in one of his books, he points out, he says, most Westerners take baptism for granted because for many in the world, the act requires immense courage. He said, in countries like Nepal, it once meant imprisonment. For Soviet or Chinese or Eastern Bloc believers, it was like signing their own death warrant. You know, guys, there may be a few churches today that are overemphasizing the importance of baptism, but I got to tell you, I think the bigger problem is that most Christians don't take it seriously enough. So for a few minutes... Let's talk about why it's important for all Christians, for all believers to be baptized. Obviously, the reason is that Jesus modeled it for us, and he also established baptism as an ordinance for his church, calling every believer to follow in his footsteps. And of course, the, the great passage, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus gives his last command, his last instruction for believers for the church, and what does he say? He says, therefore, go. Therefore, go and do what? Make disciples. Every one of us, if you profess to be a Christian or believer, you have a responsibility, you have an obligation to go and make disciples. That's what Jesus said. He says, go and make disciples of all the nations, and then what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So once that person accepts Christ, we have a responsibility to help them take next steps. So Jesus is saying, um, that's our role, that's our obligation, our responsibility. Now, so far, that's where the majority of churches in America would agree. But after that, well, it can go a lot of different directions, which is why the subject of baptism can be such an emotional topic for many people. Because guys, if you were raised in the church, that's where it usually tends to be the problem when it comes to this whole understanding of baptism because different churches believe different things. But if you were raised in the church, your belief on baptism usually has to do with the way you were raised and what your particular church believed. We often believe the way we were taught growing up. And we believe, obviously, uh, that's what my parents believed, that's what the pastor said, and so that's what I believe today. And so when we hear somebody teach it differently than what we believe, well, we can get a bit defensive. For instance, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church so I assumed that uh, since we had the name Baptist in our name, that everyone else's understanding of how it should be done was maybe a little skewed. I mean, come on, think about it. If you think I'm wrong, think about it. Who baptized Jesus? 
Okay, I'm just saying. But if you were raised Catholic, for instance, then you were taught that baptism was necessary for salvation, which is why, if you've ever wondered, which is why parents who were raised Catholics immediately want to make sure that their new baby is baptized. It's really important to them because they're often afraid if they don't and something happens to their child, then their child is going to miss heaven. But friends, please hear me on this. Until a child reaches the age of accountability, this is what the Scripture teaches. Until a child reaches the age of accountability where they know the difference between right or wrong, you really don't need to worry. Because if something happens to that baby, if something happens to that child, immediately they're in the presence of God. They go to heaven. So parents, once you know that your child, that your son or your daughter have invited Jesus Christ into their life, that is when you should encourage them to be baptized. But I would just say here, don't push them before they're ready or before they understand what it is they're doing because you're robbing robbing them of an important spiritual marker in their life. I also think it's important to mention this, and again, I know that there's gonna be things that are gonna be hard, but this is is what I believe the scripture teaches, uh, and I can back it all up with scripture. I also think it's important to mention that there is not one reference to baptism of an infant in the Bible, not one. There is not one mention or reference to the baptism of an infant in the entire New Testament. And yet there's all kinds of references to the baptism of adults, which was almost always preceded by some command for belief. An example would be in Acts chapter two, Peter replied, Each of you, he's preaching, and he says, each of you must repent of your sins. We just talked about that. Must repent of your sins and turn to God, and then be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, for those of you that were baptized as an infant, I'm certainly not trying, please hear me, I'm certainly not trying to discredit your parents or the motivation of your parents. In fact, I think you should be grateful that you had parents that loved you enough or cared enough about your spiritual life that they dedicated you to the Lord. They did what they were taught to do. That's what they were taught. I'm just trying to say that we don't believe that baptism of an infant or baptism of a toddler constitutes biblical ordinance of baptism because it's just not taught in Scripture. You cannot find it anywhere in the New Testament. Now, guys, the reason I'm talking about baptism today is because there are many of you who are Christians, you are believers, maybe you've been a Christian for a month, maybe you've been a Christian for a year, 10 years, maybe 20, 30 years, and yet you have never followed the Lord in baptism. Some of you would say, Steve, it's been so long now, what's the point? It's never too late. At some point, you need to step up and say, this is what God has commanded me to do, and so I'm going to be obedient to the Lord. And so if that's you, if that's where you find yourself today, my hope is that I can convince you today to obey Jesus' instructions when it comes to baptism. It's to look at how this all started, or let's look, if we could, on how it all started in the New Testament church. So if you've read the Gospels, you know that one day this wild-eyed, crazy man who wore sandals, animal skins, and smelled a bit like the outdoors, showed up at the Jordan River, and he started preaching. And his message was simple. His message was repent, repent, repent. The man's name was John. 
And John said, God is about to do something very unique in our midst. He's about to do something that he's never done before. And if you're not right with God, well, you're gonna miss it. He said, I know you are Jewish, but that's not good enough anymore. I know that, that you worship at the synagogue or the temple and you make sacrifices, but that's not good enough anymore. You need to get your lives in line with the teachings of God. In other words, you need to stop sinning and you need to surrender your life to God. And then John did the strangest thing. He walked down into the water and he looked out at the crowd and he said, if you are ready to repent, then I want you to come down into the water with me. And people were lining up for John to do his thing. Now, since none of us were there, we don't know exactly, we don't know exactly the method that he used, but we know that it looked like some kind of, some kind of ceremonial washing. So when they described it to their friends, they basically were saying, this man, John, baptizo. That was the, in the original Greek. The word was baptizo. And the word baptizo is where we get our word baptism. And baptism literally means to dip or to submerge or to wash or to make clean. And yet John also made it clear that he was not washing off the dirt from their body. It wasn't that he was saying that if you'll get in the water, uh, you'll be clean on the outside. But he was associating this message of repentance with the washing away of their sins. Again, brother, where art thou? As funny as that movie may have been, there was literally truth in what he was saying. <clears throat> he said, you know, I, he said, but I thought you did rob that grocery store or didn't rob that grocery store. And he said, I lied. And God forgave me of that too. And really, literally is the point. Once you've stepped across the line of faith, God has forgiven you for all of your sins and all of your mistakes. Baptism is symbolic, guys. It's symbolic of what Jesus Christ did for us. In Colossians chapter 2, it says, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. And so it's this image, if you will, that I've died with Christ, you take under the water, I've been buried with Christ, and now I've been raised up to newness of life. Well, as time went on, John picked up the name John the Baptizer. Everybody knew him as everywhere he went, John the Baptizer, and from there it just became John the Baptist because he literally was going through this baptism ceremony with everyone that would repent of their sins. And there was a lot of people identifying with his message. But John said to them, look, it's not good enough to simply say you agree with what I'm telling you. It's not good enough to simply say you agree with my teaching. I want you to come out here in the water and I want you to make it public in front of all of your friends and your family. Then one day he's preaching. The multitudes had gathered around to listen to him preach. And all of a sudden, he sees this guy standing up on the bank. And he says, behold, it's the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world. I'm sure he then turns to the crowd of the people that were there that day and says, friends, this is the one. This is the guy. This is the one I've been telling you about. This is the Messiah. This is the one who can forgive your sins. Jesus then walks right into the water, and he says, John, I need you to baptize me. John says, you've got to be kidding me, right? I, I'm not going to wash you. You should wash me. He said, if there's a sinner here, it's me, not you. I'm not even worthy to lace up the sandals on your feet, much less baptize you. 
But Jesus tells John, this is important, guys. Jesus tells John that it's necessary, John, that you baptize me. But why? Did you ever think about that? Did you ever stop and wonder why was it necessary for John to baptize Jesus? Because by doing so, he was affirming John's message of repentance. He was affirming John's message of repentance that John had been preaching to the multitudes. And he was affirming the importance of baptism. Well, after Jesus was baptized, he then goes on and he picks his 12 disciples. And then as you read through the Gospels, you see they begin to baptize people. People would hear the message of Jesus Christ as the coming Messiah. They would want to follow him. They would line up. And Jesus' disciples would baptize them. And that's how baptism began in the early church. John, was, John the baptizer was the first one to baptize. And then the disciples began to baptize. And when Jesus left this earth... What were his last instructions? We just read it in Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them. Baptizing them. You need to go, in other words. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you need to go and you need to tell everyone about me. You need to go into the workplace and tell everyone about me. You need to go into your neighborhoods and tell everyone about me. And when they decide to believe and when they decide to follow me, then I want you to baptize them. So let's sum this up. Baptism, listen, baptism is a public declaration of a new relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm embracing everything. In other words, you're telling your friends and your family, I'm embracing everything that Jesus is about. I also want you to understand that baptism is not, hear me on this, guys, baptism is not a condition for salvation. It's an outward testimony of salvation. Please catch that. Baptism is not the condition for salvation. It's an outward testimony of salvation. The best example that I can give you many times, you've heard this before, I'm sure, is the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross, it was in the last minutes of his life before he died, he looks to Jesus and he said, would you remember me in paradise? And Jesus says, where I'm going, you're going. In other words, you don't need to worry because today you're going to be with me in paradise. And yet this thief had never been baptized. So baptism is not necessary for salvation. It's not a condition or requirement for for salvation. And yet if you've accepted Christ, then he wants you to go public so that your friends can see that you're a follower, that you're a believer, that you're a Christian. You're following in obedience to what Christ has told us to do. I also want you to see that it's, a first, it's, it's an act of humility. Baptism is an act of humility that says, God, it's not about me anymore. It's all about you. I have surrendered my life to you. And so if you want me to be baptized, I'm going to follow you on baptism. So it's an act of humility and it's an act of obedience. Some of you may say, but Steve, I just don't want to be baptized. Okay. Okay. I'm, not, I'm really seriously not sure what your reason could be. Because the God who was beaten and hung on a cross for your sins and for my sins, he's the one that's asked you to be baptized. So I just don't understand the resistance to obey him. And it might, if I'm really being honest with you, it might reveal a deeper problem going on with your heart. I don't know. In Luke chapter 6, it says, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord? These are the words of Jesus. Why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord when you don't do what I say? Baptism is the initial test of a believing heart. 
if you won't obey Christ in baptism, what will you do when he calls you to pray? What do you do when he calls you to reach your neighbors for Christ? What do you do when he calls you to serve? What do you do when he calls you to be generous? Guys, our hearts should always be to put Christ first and to give him our best. I mean, it's like God, I'm telling you, God, if you want me to be baptized in a pile of leaves, I'll do it. Whatever it is you want me to do. Whatever you want me to do. There's another point. How you were baptized is not near as important as doing it. Let me explain what I mean. How you were baptized is not near as important as doing it. In other words, if you grow up, let's say an example would be in a Methodist church. In a Methodist church, they don't immerse, but they sprinkle. So if you prayed to receive Christ and then you were baptized by being sprinkled, I don't think that's a huge problem. Some people say, oh my, if they were sprinkled, they need to be baptized again. I don't necessarily believe that's true because I think what God always is interested in is our heart. He's interested in the condition of our heart. And if you had a genuine salvation experience and you were following baptism and that was the way your church baptized, then your heart was right with God. At Northview, we believe in immersion because that's what the word baptize literally means. So we take you all the way under the water, and I always tell you we hold you under for three or four seconds to make sure all the sin is gone. <laughs> Just kidding. But guys, whether you're sprinkled, doused, or dunked, it's okay as long as you first invited Jesus Christ into your life because guys, listen to me. Unless you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then baptism does nothing more than get you wet. If you're coming up here today and you say, well, I'm not a Christian, I'm not going to heaven, it'll please my parents if I baptize because they want to make sure I'm going to heaven. If you come up here just to get baptized but you've not accepted Christ, the only thing that's going to happen in that tank is you're going to get wet. That's it. So regardless, I'm just telling you that regardless how it's done, as long as you get it done, it's okay. Baptism, I said it to you a few minutes ago, baptism is an out, the outward evidence of something that's taken place, of a decision you made to follow Christ. So if you were baptized after you accepted Christ, then I don't think you need to do it again. But if you were baptized when you were a baby, or if you were baptized before you invited Jesus Christ into your life, then I do think you should do it again. For instance, maybe you were baptized when you were a kid because your parents wanted you to. And so you just were being an obedient child and you just did what they wanted you to do. Or maybe because a group of your friends all said, let's go forward and let's, let's get baptized. And so you just did it because some of your friends did it. But you didn't really know Jesus Christ. Then I would encourage you to be baptized again. Unfortunately, or Ultimately, let me say it this way, ultimately, it all goes back to Jesus' statement in John 14, 15 that says, if you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands. If you've invited Christ into your life and yet you've not been baptized, for goodness sakes, what are you waiting for? You need to be obedient to the Lord and be baptized today. Listen, guys, some of you say, well, man, I wish I would have known all this, Steve. I just didn't come prepared. That's okay. We're prepared for you. We have everything you need. We have towels. We have shirts and uh, shorts and T-shirts. Everything you need to be baptized. 
Maybe you prayed, maybe you were the, there was a couple of you that prayed with me to invite Christ into your life a little earlier in the service. If that were you, this is your next step. Don't wait. There's no waiting period. Just to, I would encourage you to step out and come. If you're younger than 14 and you want to be baptized today and you didn't come planning to be baptized, you need to make sure you bring, if you're younger than 14, you need to bring your parent with you. Let me close with this passage. In Acts chapter 22, it says this. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. So here's what we're going to do. The worship team is going to come. They're going to lead us in some worship. We've got several people that have already made a decision to be baptized today. They're going to come, and they're going to, we're going to start with their baptism. But while we're doing that, if you want to be baptized today, I'm asking you to get out of your seat right now and to come up here to the corner, and they'll tell you where to go. And we can take you down, and we've got everything you need to change into, towels, all of it. And we'll baptize you today. So if you want to be baptized today, I'm going to encourage you right now to just get up out of your seat and come. Stand with me, if you will. Everybody stand.